Today, I'm going to talk about something really close to my heart, and that is prayer. Prayer. So the title of today's message is God Works Through Our Prayer. God Works Through Our Prayer. And today's Bible quote is from Isaiah 56. Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7. And it says, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Now, the context of Isaiah 56 is that God is speaking. These are God's words. And God is telling us here about a time in the future. Well, based on the time of Isaiah, this was in the future. And God says that at this time in the future, my salvation is coming and my righteousness will be revealed to all people. Now, in the Old Testament... Not everybody could go into the temple of God, the house of God. Only those in the house of Israel and then only the Levites. And then if you wanted to go into the Holy of Holies, you had to be the high priest. And what's more, if you had a physical defect, you couldn't go in. And no foreigners, of course, could go in. But God is saying here, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. All foreigners come All people with a physical defect come. And I believe this is being fulfilled right now in this New Testament era. We're from all nations. We may have defects, but God is saying, come, this is a place of prayer for all of us. So what is this house of God? The answer is, we are are God's house. And that's your first fill-in. In your sermon notes today, we are God's house. It says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. So we're no longer talking about a building. In the Old Testament, it was a building. In the New Testament, in our era, it's us, every member of the body. Elsewhere, in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, it says, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. God is no longer going to dwell in a building. He's going to dwell in us individually and corporately as a whole body. So it's important for us to understand this spiritual house, this house of prayer is all of us, all of us. And we are called to offer up spiritual sacrifices. In Revelations 5.8, God talks about um, what prayer is. And we're given the image of incense, incense being offered up to God. And God is pleased with the aroma of prayer. So prayer, I believe, is a characteristic of church, of the Christian church. From the earliest days of the church after our Lord's ascension, prayer has been a key characteristic of what the church does. It's our calling, it's our state of being, it's our privilege, it's who we are. Whereas in the Old Testament, prayer took place mainly in a building. In the New Testament, it takes place in us, the body of Christ. 
And I believe it's always good to look at the book of Acts to see how the church functioned because the book of Acts gives us a very good picture of how the early church functions and it's a good model for us. So let's have a look at what the early church did when they gathered together. Look at our next scripture. It's from Acts 1.14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication, it says. Now, this, this scripture tells us what happened very soon after the ascension. Jesus had commanded in Luke 24, verse 49, that the disciples were to tarry or wait in Jerusalem until they were endued with power from on high. So, what was the disciples' response? They prayed. They were gathered together and they prayed. And in Acts 2, we read that on the day of Pentecost, they were in one accord, in one place, and that's when the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke in tongues and they were empowered to be witnesses. The church was born out of a prayer meeting. Out of a prayer meeting, the Holy Spirit came. So then what happened? Did they stop praying after that? Let's have a look at the next scripture. It says in Acts 2, 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. I think it's fascinating to see what they were doing because were they gathered to do cultural activities, for instance? No. Were they gathered to do art or um, just to chat to each other? No. It says they were gathered continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine Fellowship, receiving teaching, fellowshipping, breaking of bread. This speaks of communion and sharing of meals. And in prayers, most importantly, in prayers. That was a characteristic of the early church. And later on, after Peter and John had, bought, had brought, uh, sorry, Peter and John were brought before the Sanhedrin, the church is seen again praying. It's recorded in Acts chapter 4, 31, that after this prayer, the meeting shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. Now, I think this is a good picture of what the early church did and a good model for us. They obtained their power from prayer. That's a challenge for us, isn't it? In all our activities, is prayer a part of what we do? As church. So God has been guiding me in this personal journey of prayer. Have you ever opened up the scriptures and felt God was speaking to you directly from the scriptures? Well, I had one of these experiences. It was in December 2014. And I was reading Romans 12. And the scripture came out of the page. And I knew it was God speaking to me. And God was telling me, and this is your next fill-in, God tells us to be faithful in prayer. God tells us to be faithful in prayer. So as, as I was reading Romans 12, 12, it says, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. 
It just jumped out of the page to me. And I realized God was saying, hey, Patrick, you've been telling people you would pray, but you haven't been praying. You haven't been praying. And God then led me through a time of repentance. He's wonderful. He always leads us. He changes us in our direction, if that's necessary. And I knew no matter how big or small a matter is, God wants us to be faithful in his service. And from that time onwards, God has led me to develop a lifestyle of prayer. And I'd like to share with you some of the things I've learned from this journey. The first thing I've learned as God led me to pray every day for people is that God guides us. It is God who guides us in prayer. It is God who guides us in prayer. Look at Romans 8.26. It says, We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Brothers and sisters, God led me by really small steps. I don't know how he will lead you, but he asked me to spend some time each day praying for others. In the beginning, it was literally a few seconds a day. <laughs> a few seconds a day. It wasn't beyond that. And I knew I wanted to be faithful, so I said to God, I'm just going to pray a few seconds a day, but I'll keep at it. And God wanted me to continue in this daily prayer. I want to say God will guide you. If you will yield yourself to prayer, God will guide you in his personal way, a way that's appropriate for you. And you don't have to worry about how he's going to do it. Maybe God will guide you to pray while doing dishes every day. Maybe he'll ask you to pray every time you travel to and from work for people. It seems mundane, but the mundane is spiritual, and the spiritual sometimes seems mundane. I believe God is the one who guides. He has to be the one who guides, because in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 17, he says, pray constantly. Pray constantly. Pray unceasingly. How could we do that if God wasn't guiding us, right? So it's not within our ability to pray. He has to guide us. And not only will God guide you when to pray, he will teach you how to pray. This verse, Romans 8.26, says plainly that God will guide us. We don't have to worry about fancy words. The verse is often used to refer to speaking in tongues. Now, I myself love speaking in tongues, but I think the verse has a more general application as well. It tells us that as we yield to God, wordless groans are going to come out of us and God's going to guide us as we pray. It's a spiritual way of praying. It's not about the words. It's about the spirit behind the words. The spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. And who knows the heart of God but the spirit himself? 
Put another way, you could not pray without the Holy Spirit. So it's all on him. And aren't you glad that the Christian life is all on him? Over and over again in our church, I hear the word of God brought to us, encouraging us to rely on him because we cannot live the spiritual life, the Christian life, without him. And this includes prayer. And listen, because he will always speak as you pray. Here I want to emphasize that we cannot pray for anything that is not in God's will. He won't let you. He won't let you. He will guide you in accordance with his word. We can't pray for anything that the word of God specifically prohibits. That's obvious. But what about the things that the word of God does not say anything about? So, for example, a place to live or work. Well, I believe God will guide us individually as we start praying. But the important thing, I think, is to start praying. It's like a ship. The helmsman can only guide the ship if it's moving, right? So even if you start off in the wrong direction, as you pray, I believe the answer will come. And this is what I've experienced in so many aspects of my life. So, for instance, about 10 years ago, um, I was planning to become a lecturer at a university in Australia. And I had made many plans but the word of God came to me and said, no, that's not your, your future path. And, and the Lord steered me away from that. He brought me here to Korea where I live. And I didn't know that at, uh, at the start of that journey. He guides. So God guides us in our prayer. We don't need to worry about that. As we pray, he will guide us. Next, I want to talk about how the word of God is sent out as we pray. God sends out his word swiftly in answer to prayer. God sends out his word swiftly in answer to prayer. In 2 Thessalonians 3.1, it says, Brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified. I think it's always instructive to see how the Apostle Paul instructed other people to pray. Notice the Apostle Paul never says, pray that God would be with us. Did you know that? He never says that because he knew God is always with us. That was his promise. The Lord said, I'll be with you always. Go make disciples. The Apostle Paul never said, never said pray that God would supply our needs. He doesn't say that. He declares it. He says, my God will supply all your needs, but he doesn't tell believers to pray for that. What does he tell believers to pray? It's really instructive and really interesting. He says, pray that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified. As you pray, the word I preach, said the Apostle Paul, will run swiftly and it will make an impact. I kind of picture an arrow an arrow doesn't go anywhere without a bow, and prayer is the bow. Or a bullet. A bullet doesn't go anywhere without a gun, without um, something to propel it. And prayer propels the word. Let's have a look at something from the Old Testament in Daniel chapter 9. 
Daniel chapter 9, verse 23. It says, at the beginning of your pleas of mercy, a word went out, and I've come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Now, these are the words of the messenger from God called Gabriel. In Daniel 9, we read that Daniel is praying and repenting for his people who have sinned. Daniel makes an appeal for God's mercy. And then it's written, a messenger of the Lord, Gabriel, appears to Daniel and says this to him. Note the word was sent out as Daniel prayed. Gabriel then gives a word of prophecy to Daniel. We know that it is the word of God, it is the word of God which changes people. When we pray, God sends his word to people and God works in people's hearts. I want to share with you God's work in my own own life and in my own family because my Christian friends prayed. Now, I was saved when I was 19 years old, when I was living in Australia. My parents were, like many Chinese immigrants to Australia, ancestor worshippers and occasional practitioners of Chinese religions. So when I first became a Christian, I tried to persuade my parents to believe as well. But because of my own immaturity and lack of wisdom, often it led to more conflict and it bore no no fruit. So I decided to change tactics. I decided to ask people to pray instead. I wasn't going to convert my parents. My words were having the opposite effect. And I would... I remember at every opportunity when anyone asked, how can I pray for you? What's your prayer request? Pray for my parents. They're not saved yet. And over the years, I estimate hundreds, if not thousands of people, prayed for my parents. Ten years later, my parents became Christian. Hallelujah. The power of prayer. It wasn't me. I didn't get them saved. The Lord used other people that my my dad could listen to. And he sent his words swiftly into my dad's heart and then into my mother's heart. And they became Christian. What a miracle. What a miracle. And that's the power of prayer. And often, you know, it's easier to tell somebody to believe, but it may not be the wisest thing. You know how sometimes you hear a message and you nudge somebody next to you and say, hey, listen to that. Well, often the effect is not as you'd expect. People don't respond. Much better for us to pray, isn't it? If you want someone you love to receive a word, pray. Pray for him. Pray for her. And it's promised here in this scripture, God will send forth his word swiftly in answer to our prayer. Hebrews 4:12 says the word of God is living and powerful. We know this. We know this. And Psalm 107:20 says he sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. I can attest that this happened in my family. But the force that propelled it, I believe, was prayer. 
the faithful prayer of the saints for which I'll always be grateful. The word of God is sent out swiftly as we pray. And then God has also been teaching me about laboring with other people as we pray. God has been teaching me. God causes us to labor with others through prayer. God causes us to labor with others through prayer. If you're American, I give you permission to drop the U. <laughs> but the rest of us, we use the U. <laughs> so God labors with us as we, uh, sorry, we labor with God and with others through prayer. How does it happen? Let's have a look at another verse. Again, the Apostle Paul speaking here. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Some translations say, strive together with me. Pray, strive together with me. Brothers and sisters, it's a war out there. We are engaged in a war, whether we know it or not. War is happening and the battlefronts are out there, especially with people who actively spread the gospel, like our missionaries in the Himalayas. But you can join in that fight. How? By praying. Sometimes we think it's the ministers who work, and we somehow just support them. You know, I just pray for them a little bit, give a little bit of money. That's not true. Prayer is the work. Prayer is the work. If you pray, it says you enter into that struggle. You enter into that striving together with gospel workers, wherever they may be. And what a powerful incentive for prayer this is. I travel the world every day, I feel like, by praying. I'm in my room praying, but I'm traveling around the world in spirit. Because I'm joining in that labor. You don't need money. You don't need to buy a plane ticket. You don't need to learn a new language. Hike up a mountain like in the Himalayas. You don't need to do any of that if you are willing to join in prayer for those workers in the front line. And you don't need special skills. You just need a willing heart and God leading you. And you can do it anywhere. You can participate. And over and over again, we see in the book of, book of Acts, again, how prayer it was intertwined with God's work. It was the unseen force behind what was happening. People got saved. People were healed. Thousands were added to the church. Prayer was part of what was happening. In Acts 12, for instance... Peter was sent to prison, the Apostle Peter in Acts 12. But as the church prayed, he was miraculously delivered by an angel. It's written in Acts 12, verse 5, that constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. What happened? Peter's chains fell off by themselves. The doors to the prison opened by themselves. Peter was led by an angel out of prison. 
When Peter made his way to the gathering of God's people, it's written that people were gathered together, praying, it says in Acts 12.12. I find it interesting that those praying actually did not know Peter had been released. You know why we know? Because there was a girl who opened the door, and it it says the girl was surprised. (gasps) Peter? She couldn't even open the door because she was so surprised. She rushed inside to tell other people. And they were saying, oh, it's, 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 it's his angel. It's not Peter. Peter's in prison. But they were praying, you see. And I find this a wonderful illustration of what happens when we pray. We expect to get feelings sometimes when we pray. But note this. They didn't know Peter had been released. They were just faithful in prayer. They, just, they were still praying. When Peter came to the door. And that's such an encouragement because sometimes when we pray, whether by ourselves or with people, it doesn't feel like anything's happening. But that's the step of faith we need to take. We keep praying because stuff like this can happen to us as we pray. The mundane is spiritual, and the spiritual may be mundane. But we keep praying, and that's what God has been teaching me, that you keep praying because miracles are happening as you're praying, and what a great encouragement it is. The next thing I want to talk about is God building our faith as we pray. God builds our faith. God builds faith in us as we pray. That's to fill in faith. So here's a scripture from Mark, chapter 11, verse 24. It says, Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it shall be yours. I don't know about you, but when I first read this verse, I thought this. I thought, well, I don't really believe, so I'm not going to pray. Because it says, you have to believe that you've received it, and, and then it shall be yours. That's the way I read it. And I've since discovered, and God has been telling me, that that's the wrong way around. We need to start praying, and then God will give us the faith. How do I know this? One day God guided me to Hebrews 12, 12, 2. Hebrews 12, 2, it says, Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. He's the one who gives us the faith. Our faith originates with him. And I had to make sure, so I used my Strong's Concordance, just to make sure that it's the same word. The same word is being used here. Faith, belief, belief. Jesus gives you the faith to pray. You don't need to uh, conjure up faith. You start praying and he will give you the faith. And we see an illustration of this in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9 talks about a conversation between a man and Jesus. If you have your Bibles with you today, you can follow this story. It starts from Mark chapter 9, verse 17. So the narrative goes, a father comes to Jesus and is desperate. He says his son has a mute spirit. 
The mute spirit makes his son foam at the mouth, gnash his teeth, and become rigid. Now the man had asked the disciples to cast out the spirit, but they couldn't. So this had already happened, right? They had, the man had asked the, the disciples. The disciples couldn't cast out this spirit. And in verse 19, Jesus says, O oh, you faithless generation, how long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. Who was Jesus talking to? His disciples. He was saying, you don't have enough faith. Bring him to me. So the disciples weren't the faith warriors in this story. And then what happened? Jesus proceeds to ask the father, how long have the symptoms been apparent? The father answers, from childhood. Now, it's just a guess. It's my own personal guess. But I don't think the son was a very young boy because he answered, from childhood. He could have been a teenager or even a grown man. In any case, it wasn't an easy kind of scenario. You know, it wasn't like, oh, he's got a cold, let's pray for him. You could see that this man or this boy had a mute spirit and he was having these attacks. And it was a very difficult case that people didn't have faith to pray for. And so the desperate father continues to describe more symptoms. And then he says to Jesus, But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. If you could. If you can do anything, he says. And Jesus says, If you can believe, anything is possible for those who believe. And note how the Father answers. Our next scripture here. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. The Father cried out. Some translations said, say, with tears. He was desperate. He had nothing else. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I can relate to that. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life when I couldn't believe, but I was desperate and I would say to God, help me. Often our faith is not perfect, or maybe it's not perfect, at least not perfect as we envision perfect faith to be. We say things like, if you can do anything, and we say, I believe, but help my unbelief. One is tempted to retort, do you believe or not, Patrick? Why are you saying these things? You contradict yourself. But that's the way we are, right? We sometimes just come to God like this. And this story is so encouraging because you know what Jesus did? He took what belief the man had and he commanded the mute spirit to come out of the sun and enter him no more. It says, immediately the Spirit came out. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And later, in verse 29, Jesus explains that this kind of Spirit would not come out except by prayer and fasting. 
Question for you. Who had done prayer and fasting in this story? Nobody except Jesus. It was all on him. It wasn't on the disciples. It wasn't on the faith of the man. It was on Jesus. Jesus had been fasting and praying, I'm sure, as was his daily custom. What did the man do? He simply brought the problem to Jesus. And that's all we need to do. And this story, although it's not about prayer, I believe it applies to prayer. Because that's how we talk to God. We're desperate a lot of the time. And we just come to him and we see him work miracles. And what a great encouragement this is for, those, for us. If, we, if we're not in the habit of fasting and praying, it doesn't matter. We begin where we are. God will guide us and he will work miracles in our lives. So, we've been talking about faith. We've been talking about being led by God. We've been talking about how God sends out his word as we pray. So why is it that we don't pray? (laughs) I ask myself this question as well. Why don't we pray? Because, you know, when you think about it, we come to Sunday services, but how many of us come to prayer meetings? Yes, we do have a prayer meeting. It's only once a month, but we have prayer and praise every third Saturday. And from the meetings I've been to, the attendance is nowhere like our Sunday morning services. And so I ask myself this question, why is it? Let's have a look at one scripture from Matthew 13:46. Jesus is speaking and he's talking about the kingdom of God. And he says, the kingdom of God is like this. Someone finds a precious pearl and when he finds it, he goes away and sells all that he has and buys it. Why? Because the pearl is worth it. And, you know, I think the reason why we don't pray is because we don't understand how good prayer is. What an amazing thing it is. And God has been showing me. We think it's something we have to do. And we we have to make time for it. And, of course, as we've seen, it doesn't feel like we're doing anything. Right? Remember the prayers that were offered up for Peter? They didn't know what was going on. They just kept praying. And so we don't get the feelings, the feedback we like through feelings sometimes, and we don't pray. And we don't have an understanding that we are a house of prayer, that we are, in the New Testament era, called to pray. This is what we do. We don't understand we're being commanded to be faithful in prayer. And we haven't discovered that prayer can grow our faith or that the word of God is sent out swiftly as we pray. So I'm discovering and God is teaching me that prayer is a precious, precious thing that we have the privilege of doing. And it's only been a few instances, but I have actually experienced in the last three years miracles happening as I've prayed. I've had um, requests from people about desperate situations, financial sicknesses, and I've just prayed and seen that God works through little me 
as I've been praying at home. I don't know how it works, but I know that prayer works. The kingdom of God, Jesus says, is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Some things are great investments, aren't they? I know here in Korea, property is, is, uh, is a great investment because property keeps going up and up, right? And we spend hours and hours, some of us, analyzing the property market, where to buy, where to invest, when to sell. Well, brothers and sisters, there's something that's greater than even investment in property. Prayer is a great investment. We don't know yet the value of this investment because in Revelations, as I mentioned, God is seen enjoying the prayers of the saints as they're offered as incense. I believe one day we'll know. One day we'll know that every second of our prayer here on this earth will have affected somebody. I believe we'll find out in heaven. And this is the step of faith that I believe God wants us to take. That we don't see the results as you don't see results when you invest, but we pray because we know the word of God is trustworthy and we are to pray. Amen.